We are in our last session together of this series called Resolved out of the book of Daniel. This is session number six. If you were here last week, I don't know if it was in both services, I kept calling last week session number four, so messed that up, but that's all right. We're on the last session together. Where we've been together is taking a look at the life of Daniel, who uh, was ushered into a life of exile after a two-month-long journey through the desert into the north and across into Babylon. And in this life of exile, he quickly learned that he was in a hostile culture that was very intentionally planning on undermining his values and his faith in God. And he immediately was resolved to not let that happen. We learned that in chapter one. And with that Resolve, he had to decide to make decisions, knowing that decisions are not decisions that are made in moments of time that just leave their consequence in that moment and then you move on to a next moment in time and a next moment in time. He knew that decisions now create a trajectory. And so he made a decision that he would be resolved not to be defiled in the way their agenda was to change his values his belief system, to make him Babylonian rather than Jewish. We've been in a series that has been learning how Daniel was resolved, how Daniel was ready, battle ready, how Daniel was consistent, how Daniel was devoted, how Daniel was kind, and how today we're going to learn how Daniel was faithful throughout a lifetime of exile. So we approach a time frame in his life, towards the end of his life, when he does a Bible study, and in his Bible study of a prophet, Jeremiah, who sends word to the exiles, he understands that the time of his exile is almost over. And yet inside his own heart is this this uneasy feeling like, we're still off. The cleansing work that should have taken place throughout this exile is not complete. We're still so messed up that we enter into a prayer of Daniel in chapter 9. Now, if you think that what we've witnessed so far in the life of Daniel, in the stories after story of the incredible resolve and readiness and consistency and devotion, all of those things are so powerful and we were motivated as we learned these lesson after lesson after lesson. But I know this, and you do too, motivation is not enough. We don't have the ability in ourselves to be resolved, to be ready, to be consistent or devoted. So in one peak, as if over the shoulder of Daniel, listening to his intimate prayer with God, we're going to take a look at the prayer out of Daniel 9. It's going to put all these things together for us in conclusion uh, today. I'm so excited as we continue. But right now, I want us to remind ourselves that where we've been, that decisions are not decisions only for now that affect now and create pleasure or pain right now. Decisions now are trajectories that lead to other decisions 
and some of them won't come based on your former decisions. And so every decision is important, and we need to figure out how these work as our trajectories. And so I've written out, kind of as a review, some affirmation statements that I would love for you to read out loud with me as we review the last five weeks together. So on the screen, the first one, I am resolved. If you'll read it with me. I am resolved. I will not let my feelings overrule my logic I will not choose short-term pleasure over long-term benefits. I will follow God's will. Another trajectory, the next one. I am ready to be battle-ready. I will pre-decide to be faithful. And I will pre-solve my pressure points before I am tempted. The next one. I am consistent. I know that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally, and that if it is important to me, I will find a way, not an excuse. I am devoted. I will strengthen my emotional attachment to God through daily relational routines to strengthen my relationship with God. I am kind. Because my pride gets in the way, I know I am not consistently kind, but God gives us more grace. And that is why I will humble myself before God, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, for me, it feels good to just affirm my trajectory. Does that feel good to just read that out loud? And to say that this is the trajectory, this is where I want to be, God help me here. Because this is what the series is about. We all are motivated to go there. We need God's grace and God's power to take steps down that road in a trajectory that honors him more and more and more. So all these stories are great, and we got even within the stories a description of how Daniel was devoted and how Daniel prayed. But today we get to listen. We get to hear his prayer. We learn what he's been learning through these days upon days of battle prayers. And it's just so exciting to me to be able to share that kind of conclusion with us because we need to figure out how to let layer upon layer of prayer take us into a place where we've learned how to download grace and download God's power that gives us everything we need for our life right now as we ourselves are living in exile. I don't know how to say it more importantly than that. We are in exile. A hostile culture trying to take us down the wrong trajectories, undermining our beliefs and values, causing us to stumble, causing us to dishonor our God. Let's learn how to download grace, how to download power to live with God's help. So in chapter 9, we learn that Daniel was, point number one, faithful to study God's word. The prayer doesn't begin yet. Faithful to study God's word. Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, this is the reign of Darius. We learn that from verse 1. 
And Darius is the first Medo-Persian king that has come in and overtaken Babylon. The period of time for Babylon is over. And now it's the Medo-Persian kingdom. And Daniel has lived past the regime of Babylon. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. This is the hinge point now that's going to cause Daniel to go into a time, a heavy-duty time of prayer. But let us just read one verse out of Jeremiah 29, you want to read the whole chapter or the whole book, but Jeremiah 29, 10 reads, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. This is what Daniel's been praying his whole life. The time is now, and so he's going to pray Another battle prayer, because something is still churning inside. Things are not right yet. And from his, his perspective with his own life, his perspective with the lives of all of his covenant community, he needs to go to prayer. So Daniel was faithful to study God's word. Point number two, Daniel was faithful to prayer. Faithful to prayer. Verse three. So I turned to the Lord God, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He didn't know how to humble himself any more than that. He humbled himself before God to the bottom, bottommost place of humility, fasting, not taking food, dressing up in sackcloth against your skin. Just picture wearing a burlap bag and putting ashes over his head and staying in a position of prayer, humbly before his God, pleading, pleading with God. Daniel was, number one, faithful to study God's word. Number two, faithful to prayer. Number three, faithful to love and worship God. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I want you to notice the two different renditions of Lord on this verse, one in all caps and one not in all caps. The one in all caps is how we in English have followed suit with the um, Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. Every time they ran into the word Yahweh, they translated it kurios, which means Lord. And when you ran into the word Yahweh, to show it in English, it's in all caps. The covenant name of God, how he revealed himself to Moses as the covenant-making Lord. Yahweh, who was going to take them out of Egypt, who was going to be their personal God and in covenant with them, care for them. But he also, at that time, let them know quite clearly what would happen if they broke covenant with him. We're going to read a little bit about that even in Daniel's prayer as we continue. But he's the great and awesome Yahweh he's praying to. He hasn't been forsaken by him, even though 
their temple is destroyed, even though their kingdom is no more, even though God allowed them to go through exile, he knew it was according to his word. Precisely as he said it would happen, it happened. And it was happened to bring them to humility and turn back to him. So Daniel, in humility, is turning back to his God. And he's always been, every day, turning back to his God. And here he is leading the way for us. He leads his life with his lips, speaking praise and worship, verbalizing the greatness of God, the great and awesome God. Who does what? Who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is where his stomach is churning and who keep his commandments. As he looks across the scope of all his covenant community, there are so many who are compromised, who are not keeping the covenant commandments. And as he's not, they're not keeping the covenant commandments, he's nervous and worried that 70 years are up, but will they be returning? And he's pleading on behalf of God to allow this prophecy to come true, even though they still are not faithful to him in his perfect faithfulness. They're not responding the way they ought to respond in faithfulness to their covenant-making, covenant-promise-making, promise-keeping God. They have been breaking promises. And he is in prayer, pleading on behalf of his people. The good news is Daniel is aware in studying the Old Testament and the covenant that God made provision for unfaithfulness. If you want to know how to be faithful, know that when you are unfaithful, not if, God knows this about us, when you are unfaithful to him, here's what you do. And Daniel leads the way. You confess. And God will restore you by his mercy. He's just concerned that not many people are confessing not many people are taking God, God's word literally. And they're living kind of loose. So what do you do? Daniel was number four. Faithful to confess his sin. In verse five we read, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. And in a moment, I'm going to read a whole paragraph of how he, in solidarity with this community, prays we, 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 we. But just so you know, he prays for himself as well. So we'll jump ahead momentarily. In verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Now, I am glad this is in the text because this book of Daniel is one of the rarest of books, the rarest of biographies of any biblical hero in that we almost do not hear anything negative about his character in life. And so it's good that we have this here. Daniel also recognizes that he is a sinner and must confess his sin just like we do. But he is such a model for us. Let's follow 
his example. Daniel was, number one, faithful to study God's word. Number two, faithful to prayer. Number three, faithful to love and worship God. Number four, faithful to confess his sin. And now number five, faithful to his covenant community. Faithful to his covenant community. Now, before I proceed, I hope you understand that I'm painting what it looks like to live faithfully before God. Because that's what Daniel is painting for us. What it looks like for us to live faithfully before God in a hostile environment in which we find ourselves not as hostile as his yet, but quite hostile to our faith and values. So let's listen in, starting at verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. I just think we turn to God and says, how come you allow this to happen? I can't believe you're not saving us. If you're really good, accusation, accusation, accusation. No accusation here. He's read the Bible. He knows consequences. He knows trajectories. He knows how you... We live in a culture now that doesn't connect the dots. These dots have consequences. These dots have negative results. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. He knows. And he doesn't go there. He says, we are filled with shame. We have not listened. We have turned from you. And he continues. We and our kings, our princes, our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sin and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. I just want to pause and ask, did you notice how strongly he stands in solidarity with his own covenant community? Did you notice how different that sounds like than everything that we're hearing within the churches across America? Standing in solidarity with fellow sinners instead of praying, they did this and they did that and they did that. If they fix this and they fix that, Lord, then finally we could kind of see some progress around here. 
Daniel has nothing to do with that. He prays in solidarity with the whole host of people that are fallen compared to him. They're stumbling all over the place. They're not doing what he's doing, and yet he doesn't go them, 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 them to make himself feel better. He prays, I need your forgiveness too, God. We, 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 we. If we could just learn to live in solidarity with each other like, well, like a family. Family comes with family baggage. Any families here have no family baggage somewhere along the way? And yet you got to figure out how to love your family. It really doesn't hurt to go, you, 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 you. To live in solidarity with one another before merciful, loving, forgiving God. Jesus said, they will know that I've sent you. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We live in this world as if it says, they will know you're my disciples if you stand up for the truth and just knock everybody off the high horse and tell everybody that they're bad. And if they would just get it right. No. You don't know that you're a disciple of Jesus by showing how right you are and how wrong everybody else is. We need to stand in solidarity with one another and pray for one another and come alongside one another, particularly when we're fallen. And Daniel is doing just this in the agony of battle prayer, knowing that God will lift up people who humble themselves. Daniel was faithful to study God's word. He was faithful to prayer, faithful to love and worship God, faithful to confess his sin, faithful to his covenant community, and six, faithful to live for God's honor. Faithful to live for God's honor. Verse 17 in Daniel 9. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. He's all about the honor of God. He's not about his own honor. He's not about the honor of people. He's really concerned as he looks around and he feels like we're all messed up. God, mercy, have mercy on us. Forgive us because we bear your name. Excuse me, my print just got blurry. I just had to fast forward a little bit here. What happens next in response to this prayer is an immediate answer. I say immediate 
in the text it is, we're not quite sure how long in this chapter he was fasting and praying. In the next chapter, we find out he's fasting and praying for a long time and actually says it. And I'm not telling you so that maybe you'll read it. Um, But here, God sends an angel, Gabriel, and Gabriel tells him, heaven esteems you highly. You didn't see that coming. (laughs) Me? And because heaven is esteeming you highly, here's the message. I'm going to tell you about the next, not 70 years, because they've been through 70. I'm going to tell you about the next 70 times 7 years. So esteemed Daniel that we receive vision and answers about the future that set the stage for the coming of the Messiah. But it sets the stage for all of us to understand how it is that we can remain faithful throughout a period of extended exile after exile after exile with all kinds of different looks. Here is a Bible Project video that is excellent on this theme. If I were to do it over, there's this one thing I'd change. I hated how this artist drew Jesus. I don't see him as bald, but anyway, (laughs) here we go. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is... Like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust and take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right, this is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice, but they do it non-violently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, 
but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So there's still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime, but then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home, but now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile, waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. So in the conclusion wrap up, when we see where it's heading with the coming of the anointed one, it continues to define for us very similarly as Daniel what it looks like to be faithful. It isn't looking like what we often think it's supposed to look like. It isn't fight, fight, fight them, fight them. It is live peaceably, love your enemies. It sounds a whole lot more like Jesus, which sounds a whole lot more like Daniel. And so I love the fact that week to finish with more than Daniel could have experienced. We get to finish with a trajectory of faithfulness, an affirmation about faithfulness that Daniel could have never stated himself. And this is the trajectory or our faith affirmation. I am faithful. On the screen, if you'd read it aloud with me. I am faithful 
I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When you're not resolved, when you're not consistent, when you're not devoted, remember, you've been crucified with Christ. That's not your identity. Failure is not your identity. All of those sins have been put to death with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Because of his accomplished victory on the cross, he literally can dwell within you and give you power and authority. You can download this grace and power in a way that a prayer alone in the Old Testament can't. We have far more authority than Daniel ever hoped and dreamed to have. We have the ability to live this resolve in a way that so much grace and so much power and so much authority that we literally become the lights of the world because we have the light of the world inside. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and make their way over to the prayer area right now. Um, and as they're doing so, I just want to let you know about what's coming next. Here's what's coming next in this next week. Let's face it, life can be hard, but in the midst of it all, you and I can have overflowing joy and thanksgiving through Jesus. But what does that look like, and how do we get it? Let's step into the overflow. We're going to step into the book of Philippians together for a number of weeks, and we're going to be looking at this idea of just overflowing and being filled with Jesus Christ so that we can be a blessing to others. Would you pray with me? Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay, because we, your people, bear your name. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus and filled by your spirit. Help us to be resolved, ready, consistent, devoted, kind, and faithful, living for your glory and for your honor. Amen. Hope to see you next week, and if you don't know what it means to be crucified with Christ and have Christ live in you and experience that reality, go to the prayer team, or go across the hallway and go to start here, because that's next, and so many of us aren't even going to take steps. We need to be consistent. We need to be devoted. We need to be ready. We need to be committed. Take steps if you haven't. Start here is across the hallway at 1030 if you've never been a part of that. God bless.